Cyclist Nation, welcome to another State of the Nation episode. David, how are you doing today? Absolutely fantastic. Things are heating up in the crypto ecosystem, in the bankless universe. So it's, a, it's once again, it is a fun time to be in this industry. Yeah, okay. So we are going to talk about tokens today, specifically 10 of the top tokens in the DeFi Pulse Index. And we brought on somebody who's actually uh, in jail right now. Uh, Twitter jail, <laughs> I should clarify. Twitter jail. Anthony Sassano is, um, he mumped himself from, from Twitter, sort of a vow of silence until ETH goes over 1420. Uh, but we brought on Anthony to talk all about these tokens. Um, can you tell us what discussion we're about to have, David? Yeah, so uh, this is a little bit. This this was my idea to bring Anthony on, and it, it was a little bit of a of a claim about how we are about to enter uh, alt season or DeFi season, uh, DeFi summer 2.0. I think that's ahead of us, and so we wanted to get Anthony on the podcast to go through the tokens in the DPI index. Anthony is an advisor at Set Protocol, which is the company that is part of the index co-op, which produces indices, the first of which is the DPI indice in partnership with DeFi Pulse. Uh, and there are 10 tokens in the DPI. And so we want to go through every single one for all the new listeners out there who are looking for ways to understand tokens, right? Tokens are fun. Uh, they go up really high, they go down really low, um, but, <laughs> but it's also, they're also really hard to understand. And so I think having a conversation with the three of us to understand how we all think of these things, uh, how we see value being captured by tokens in different ways and how we analyze these, these things, I think will be really useful for people coming into the space who you know are, are excited about investments and but don't know what to do. Uh, I think this is gonna be a conversation to uh, tap into our brains and see how we uh, model out what we see as valuable versus not valuable in this space. Absolutely. So we talk about Aave, we talk about Uni, the Uni token, we talk about Balancer, a bunch of the top DeFi tokens uh, that you know, and, and really talk about the kind of the value proposition and accrual mechanisms behind them. We brought Anthony on because what else is he doing, right? Mm -hmm. He's off Twitter, lots of time on his hands. David, what else is new in the bankless ecosystem. We have a fantastic podcast that just came out yesterday on Monday with Lynn Alden. Can you give a sneak peek on that? Yeah, Lynn Alden is the rising star of macro, of just macro commentary, especially as it relates to Bitcoin. She's a big Bitcoin enthusiast, but she's first and foremost a macro expert. I got so much value out of that podcast. Uh, what my biggest takeaway was talking about the primacy of the U.S. dollar and how that relates to U.S. manufacturing. It turns out, as there is global demand for dollars. Uh, in order to serve that demand, we need to export dollars as a country. And so we've exported our dollars. And what, what does that mean? When you export dollars, you import goods. But that means we are emphasizing the manufacturing of other countries instead of our own country, which I think is part of that social unrest that we've seen in the last few years. That social unrest is a result of economic forces and the lack of jobs that we have in America. And I think that is kind of the story of 2020 is that the social unrest could be connected to the primacy of the U.S. dollar. I thought that was absolutely crazy connection. Absolutely. Fantastic podcast. And we just recorded another podcast that is going to come out next week that you've got to check out. Our first podcast with Drake. 
Drake? Yes. Well, <laughs> should we clarify which Drake we're talking about? <laughs> yeah, we are talking about Justin Drake, a lead researcher at the Ethereum Foundation. Uh, Justin Drake is all about cryptography. He's a cryptographer. Uh, and while we were doing our bull case for Ethereum, bull case for ETH, uh, he wanted to get in on that because he had a really bull, really strong bull case for cryptography. Uh, so that's what that conversation was all about. Ryan, what were your, some of your favorite takeaways? Oh, dude, it was just, um, I, I think it was amazing to view sort of how early we are in the evolution of Ethereum and, and Bitcoin and how far we have yet to go. It's really like we have just, we're in the stone age of this new era of, of compute. And I think Justin really made that clear. A lot of the, the challenges that we see today around you know, centralization of like MetaMask or, or private key management, cryptography really is the answer to some of these challenges and problems. So it's a super unique episode. Um, I don't think I've heard any pod, crypto podcast episode uh, with this kind of content. So make sure you tune into that and catch that. And David, because it's State of the Nation, Let's begin this by asking you the question I always ask, what is the state of the nation today? Yeah, I teased it a little bit at the beginning of this intro. The state of the nation is heating up. Uh, as I put out a funny tweet that I, well, I thought it was funny, that uh, <laughs> on a three minute long popcorn bag, microwave popcorn bag timer, it feels like we're at second 45. <laughs> We saw MKR pop off, go from $500 to $1,500. We just saw DOT do something crazy. Uh, things are popping off. Uh, All right, so wait. So you're saying some of those kernels in the bag, like a few of them have popped, but a few you've of still them got the popped. rest of the bag, just only yeah. the very early stages of the popping process. Yes, that's very right. Very <laughs> early stages in the popping process. And when that comes to a head, I think that's what a quote unquote alt season is or you know, DeFi summer 2.0. Uh, that you know this time it's DeFi winter because it's literally winter it's january but DeFi summer 2.0 i think that's ahead of us and again that's why we brought anthony Cezano on to talk about some of the best tokens in the ecosystem to use for mental models about how to understand and evaluate tokens and you have to be careful just like a popcorn bag when you take that popcorn bag out of the microwave you don't burn your fingers on the water vapor Maybe yes. I'm taking the analogy too far, David. <laughs> no, that's perfect. Okay. There's plenty of ways to get hurt by microwave popcorn. So long as you uh, follow the instructions and play it safe, you should be good. All right, David, let's get to the sponsors that made State of the Nation possible today. Gemini is the world's most trusted cryptocurrency exchange. I've been a customer of Gemini since I first got back into crypto back in 2017, and it has been my main exchange of choice to make my crypto buys and sells. Gemini is available in all 50 states and over 50 countries worldwide. And on Gemini, there are markets for over 30 various crypto assets, including many of the hot DeFi tokens like Wi-Fi, Aave, Uni, and also they are one of the few exchanges that has liquid die markets. Having both the option of logging into the Gemini.com website or instead opening the Gemini mobile app has allowed me to be able to access any and all exchange and on or off ramp services that I've needed to on a moment's notice. With instant deposits and fast withdrawals, I'm able to make my money do the things I want it to when I want it to. You can buy crypto safely and securely on Gemini with the peace of mind of knowing that your investments are insured and protected with industry leading cybersecurity. You can open up a free account in under three minutes at gemini.com slash go bankless. And if you trade more than $100 within the first 30 days after sign up, you'll be gifted a free $15 bonus. Check them out, gemini.com slash go bankless. 
If you want to live a bankless life, you need to get a Monolith DeFi Visa card. Monolith is a one-two punch of both an Ethereum smart contract wallet and an accompanying Visa card that lets you spend the money that you have in your Ethereum wallet everywhere where Visa is accepted. When you swipe your Monolith Visa card at the grocery store or at a restaurant, it actually makes a transaction on the Ethereum blockchain that spends some of the money you hold in your Monolith wallet. It's insanely cool and it's one of the best tools out there for living a bankless but still normal life. Monolith also offers on-ramp services for getting your fiat money into the world of DeFi. So it's trivial to top up your Monolith card if you ever need to, and your deposited money goes straight into your non-custodial wallet. So your money is never held by a centralized intermediary. Because Monolith is native Ethereum infrastructure, the money you hold in your Monolith wallet still has the power of DeFi behind it. Swapping assets on Uniswap or earning yield in DeFi is at your fingertips. Go to Monolith dot xyz and sign up to get your monolith visa card today okay bankless nation we're super excited to do this special state of the nation with anthony sasano of eth hub of token set anthony the self-jailed how are you doing in there anthony how's it going you, you you've been weaned off there for a while actually went cold turkey are you how are you holding up yeah, yeah, I went cold turkey, can't post tweets, haven't posted a tweet since January 8th. I am, I'm okay. Uh, I'm enjoying the memes, of course. Uh, they're quite funny. Um, that's keeping me going. It's kind of funny how I didn't expect that to happen. I, I was like, wow, I'm actually getting people talking about me more with me not even tweeting. So this is just a bit weird, but uh, definitely feeling withdrawals. Because as you said, I did it cold turkey. I went from like tweeting a lot to nothing. <laughs> um, and you know, it definitely is like, I, I, I do realize now that I had kind of an addiction to, to tweeting. So maybe it's a good thing to take a break. So yeah. So for, the, for those of you, oh, go ahead, David. Yeah. For those that don't know, Anthony has decided to take a self-imposed hiatus until Ether breaks its previous all-time high of $1,420. Uh, I think that's actually a pretty genius uh, marketing move, Twitter marketing move, because Anthony, you've made yourself synonymous with the ETH all-time high. And so now when the ETH breaks all-time high, it's also going to be known as the time Anthony finally returns back to Twitter. I think that's a pretty genius move. Yeah, yeah. And the funny thing is, I didn't plan it to play out like that at all. I was actually in the car. Um, my fiance was driving and I'm like, what if what if I just put out this tweet? He's at 1300. We're going to get to all time high. I know we're going to get there. So I put it out and then we we kind of like ranged a little bit, went up a little bit and then we crashed like 30% or whatever it was. And I'm like, okay, that didn't How long did you think well. this didn't go? How long did you think this is going to be a, a window for? A couple of days. I, I really did. I mean, I was so bullish. <laughs> we were so close. <laughs> but, you know, I think uh, it's just karma, right? I mean, you know, some people are saying, oh, the whales are conspiring against him. They're pushing the price down <laughs> to, to maximum pain. But mm -hmm. who knows? <laughs> I am loving the memes that are coming out of this. This is one from DC Investor, like visualizing what Anthony is doing right now. <laughs> That's, that is legit, legit me when I see the price going up. <laughs> I'm just like, yes, soon, soon. <laughs> Here's another one I put out, which is a, a, a DM I received from Anthony. That, that's funny. I found it funny how many people didn't get that this was a, as, as a joke. Yeah, I know. 
<laughs> was, that was pretty funny. <laughs> it's really amazing. So, and people are asking how we're going to welcome you back. And DC, of course, says, uh, let's report his account as soon as he comes back. So, <laughs> <laughs> that was a He's winner. having a Definitely. lot of fun with this. What's your prediction? So, we are recording this on, on January the 15th, Anthony. So, this is this is Friday, right? It comes out on, on a Tuesday of next week. Do you think you're going to be out of Twitter jail by then? I, I hope so. I have high hopes for this weekend, you know, uh, just based on uh, my general kind of bullishness here, the, sen the sentiment, you know, we're very close still. We're at 1200, around 1200 at time of recording. So, yeah, I hope so. I think so. Um, but I mean, I said that last time when I tweeted this. Thing <laughs> so I don't know how much my, my kind of sentiment and my feeling is kind of worth right now. <laughs> Yeah, well, we are pulling for you, my friend. And of course, we are just as excited to see ETH hit all-time high and to see you get out of Twitter jail. Let's talk about what we wanted to talk about today. And this is kind of a, a topic as we're entering the bull market that I think is on a lot of listeners' minds right now is, is how to prepare from an asset, from a portfolio perspective. So um, I got a text just this week from a, a friend of mine, he's like dabbling in, in, in DeFi and dabbling in crypto, of course. And he's wondering, like in this bull cycle, um, should he start to rotate some of his ETH, maybe some of his Bitcoin as well into, into DeFi? And maybe let's start there, right? Because um, some people believe, of course, that Bitcoin is going to eat everything. Bitcoin dominance is gonna stay in the 70% type range. Um, and it will get the majority of upside and accrual in this in this bear market, right? Um, others believe that Bitcoin might have a you know four to eight x, while ETH has a five to ten x, um, while DeFi outperforms both, like a ten to twenty x possibly, right? Um, that's more along the lines of what I think could happen. But but what do you think could happen, Anthony? What's kind of uh, your perspective? Do you think? Bitcoin goes higher, ETH goes even higher, has more upside, and then DeFi has more upside than both of those asset categories? Yeah, that's that's my general play uh, for sure. Just based on, I guess, a lot of it is based on market cap for sure. It's much harder to move Bitcoin and ETH as opposed to DeFi. But at the same time, I think DeFi is a very broad category, right? Where there's a lot of tokens that fall into that bucket. So if you're talking about you know, these tokens that maybe have a really tiny market cap, that can be very easily pumped or whatever, uh, and they kind of outperform, um, you know, that's that's just because they're very small, right? So I guess when we're talking about DeFi, what I like to think about is the DeFi Pulse Index, which is um, an index of the top DeFi tokens that we have, that we created at Set Protocol uh, to let you track and get exposure to DeFi. And and that's kind of what I mean when I, when I think about DeFi and when I'm talking about it to newer people, because, uh, you know, a lot of these newer people taking on the risk of buying like the really low cap coins is just is not not a great way for them to start in this space because they're so volatile. They can fall 50 percent on the day, go up 50 percent on the day. Right. And there's so you know, many of them. There's so yeah, there's and the, and the, it's just yeah paralysis of trying to choose which ones to put your money into. Um, and if you're not you know, used to the volatility, you can very easily just get kind of wrecked trying to trade in and out of them. So I know we're going to talk about the DeFi Pulse Index in depth more, but that general kind of, you know, uh, BTC uh, uh, being outperformed by ETH and ETH being outperformed by DeFi during a bull cycle is definitely uh, something I, I subscribe to. So some listeners who have, you know, been through market cycles before might uh, 
uh, think of the term alt season, which is a little bit what, what we're talking about here. Uh, there seems to be a general rotation, uh, and this is a rule of thumb, and there's totally examples of when this is invalidated, but the, the, the rule of thumb is that BTC pumps, and then Ether pumps, and then all the other tokens pump. And so we're kind of getting prepared for perhaps that third leg of the rotation, if it does indeed play out. And so looking at CoinGecko, and, and it's, it's my belief, and I'm pretty sure Ryan's and, and your belief as well, that uh, DeFi is the underserved, or the underserved category, right? It's, it's below it, what it should be. And if you look at the market cap of all coins, excluding DeFi, the market cap is over a trillion dollars. Ryan, if you go down to that purple line um, in the graph below, uh, yeah, over a trillion dollars, whereas that blue line is just at $30 billion. So there's a huge discrepancy here. And it, we believe, uh, according to the protocol stink thesis, that a lot of these protocol tokens represent upside potential to DeFi and are ready to close that gap. That is what my, that's where my head is at. What do you believe? About, how do you think about that Bitcoin, Ether, altcoins, alt, alt season uh, cycle? And then how do, you, how do you integrate specifically the DeFi tokens inside of that category as well? Yeah, I think uh, the thing about the alt season, it also kind of includes all the other coins and stuff out there, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't just cover, cover DeFi, but obviously DeFi falls into that from a market perspective. And you were just showing that CoinGecko kind of uh, stats there um, and 30 billion being the DeFi market cap. They actually include Chainlink in that. And Chainlink to me, and I'm, I, maybe I'll anger some people by saying this, to me, it's not a DeFi token. It's a middleware protocol, right? It's something like the graph. It falls into a different category. So you can take out Chainlink out of that, right? Mm -hmm. And lower the DeFi market cap even more. It probably lowers it to about 20 billion. So yeah, I mean, as you pointed out, the total cap's over a trillion. Most of that is Bitcoin. I think 70% of that is Bitcoin almost, which is, which is a huge amount, right? Um, but I don't think it's going to stay like that uh, during this bull market. I think, as you said, there's this rotation that goes on, you know, people, you know, coming to Bitcoin, especially newer people, and then they, you know, Bitcoin kind of stagnates. And then these newer people think, oh, okay, you know, Bitcoin's going sideways. What else can I rotate into um, or, or can I speculate on? And especially traders, right? Traders definitely do this. They want volatility. They don't, they don't want sideways. So if there's sideways in Bitcoin, they'll go to ETH. Right. Then they'll go down the list. And as obviously, like as the kind of um, more, more new money floods in and volatility heats up, then the lower cap coins, uh, which DeFi falls into, obviously, um, can go up a lot faster and a lot easier than the large cap coins. So, yeah, I mean, this, as you said, there's plenty of evidence of this uh, happening during bull markets. In bear markets, it doesn't really happen. Um, you know, people fly to safety, which is obviously cash first. And then Bitcoin to a certain extent. Um, I think, you know, last cycle, we didn't really see people flowing to ETH for safety. Maybe this cycle we do, but yeah, it's hard to tell there. So yeah, definitely um, that rotation, you can see it play out on the charts. It's, it's pretty obvious. So, uh, but only in bull markets, I think. So this is kind of the, the, the bankless um, portfolios, as we call it, Anthony, that we're basically describing here, which is, you know, uh, a, a generous helping of crypto monies like Ether, right? And like, like Bitcoin. So you have that in your portfolio. And then also you want exposure to this, this neo banking layer, this DeFi layer. So if you want to drop dead simple, like bankless portfolio, it's basically Ether, Bitcoin, and DeFi, like the DPI, the DeFi Pulse Index. And that kind of gets you what you need to be positioned for this bull market. At least that's kind of what we think. And 
if your thesis, uh, if the thesis plays out that we, we get this cycle of Bitcoin, ETH, and DeFi, then you have exposure to all of those assets as the as the cycle, um, as, as they cycle into one another and out of one another. So the great thing about DPI is you can just like put some money in and set it and forget it. It's just an index of all of these top 10 DeFi protocols. But it doesn't do one thing, Anthony, and that, that's this. It doesn't give you exposure to the, the micro caps. So essentially when you're buying uh, the DPI, you're buying more, more so the blue chip uh, DeFi tokens, but you don't have exposure to this micro cap. And if we think DeFi is gonna do something like a, a 10 to 20X, like part of the question is, does that 10 to 20X happen in the large blue chip assets? Or does it happen with these like micro cap uh, DeFi assets at the very bottom? And do you lose out if you don't have exposure to those micro caps? Any thought on that? Yeah, I think with the DeFi Pulse Index, you're, you're buying safety, right? You're buying uh, less volatility on both sides, the upside and the downside, uh, because they are, as you said, more blue chip assets. They're supported by more exchanges. A lot of them are on Coinbase, for example. Um, a lot of them are, are part of projects that uh, have extreme product market fit, you know, like Uniswap, uh, uh, like uh, Yearn and, and things like that. So that's kind of the trade-off there. Whereas if you are investing in the smaller caps, right, you have a bunch of different things you have to, the small cap DeFi, you have a bunch of different things you have to take into consideration. Uh, your risk tolerance needs to go way up, right? You need yeah. to be able to stomach, you know, those 50% in a day drops. Um, and as a new investor, I don't think many people can do that. Uh, I remember when I first got into it, I, I couldn't do it. It was just, it's something you have to learn and, and go through. And then you try to swing trade it, right? And, you know, you, you get kind of like wrecked because, a lot of us have to deal with taxes too. So swing trading with taxes and everything and, and all this sort of stuff is just, it, it's so hard to speculate on the smaller ones. So for that's why I think DPI is perfect, even for for, for seasoned people in, in crypto, because they can kind of hedge their, their risk with DPI, like they do with BTC and ETH, and then use a small part of their stack to go speculate on smaller cap things. Um, but yeah, it's all just the kind of like, how much risk do you want to take? If you don't want to take, if you want to be exposed to DeFi, but don't want to take on a ton of risk, don't want to have to worry about rebalancing out of everything. You know, there's an argument to be made that, uh, that, that an index product, uh, with uh, built on our infrastructure at set is tax advantaged as well. Um, but obviously talk to your own tax, uh, tax, uh, kind of accountant for that. But you know, there's that argument there. If you just want like passive diversified, low risk exposure, then the DeFi Pulse Index is is basically for you. Um, but you can you can always buy some of the DeFi Pulse Index and then use some of the money you have left over to go speculate on the smaller cap ones. But you do need to realize that your risk to your risk tolerance has to be much higher than it does for the DPI. It's almost just like in the in the stock investing world, you know, people will invest in indices and S and P five hundred, and then they'll also maybe have some money set aside to play with penny stocks and really like small micro. That's kind of what we're talking about here. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think, you know, if you look at the DPI and the performance of it and how it handled the DeFi kind of bear market, so it actually launched at, I think, at the top of DeFi summer. So um, it was a bit of a, a bad time to launch it, but it's, it's rebounded quite well. I think it went from $100 it started at, um, it dropped down to maybe, you know, $60 or something like that, which is a pretty, still a pretty brutal drop, but that's a, that's crypto, right? Um, you're going to get that <laughs> volatility. And that, that was like DeFi coming off of a really, um, you know, heated market. So that was pretty, I, I think that would be the worst amount of volatility you'd see um, yeah, there besides maybe the end of a bull market. 
um, or a macro bull market. So yeah, you can see here um, that it just like dropped like pretty far down. It probably went under 60 actually. Yeah, 59, something like that, um, which you can see 50. And then now it's gone up to over 200, right? Um, so it's not like you're, you're only getting like 10% out of this, right? You, if you bought around the bottom at around like $60, you've gotten a, a quite a nice gain, um, you know, over a 3X uh, since, since November. So, you know, you are trading, you know, you, you could have gotten a 10 next on something else, right? But the thing is, like, could you have picked that something else? Would you have stayed in that position? Uh, you know, could you have prevented yourself from getting wrecked during the drawdowns? Uh, most people can't. And that's there's, why, I there's mean. There's also, like, there's smart contract risk. There's rug pool risk. There's team yeah. risk. There's all of these risks at the at the small new project microcap level that you have to take into account. Yeah, and those those risks are actually commonly understated, I think. Um, you know, because uh, people you know love to get kind of like I guess high on the on the pumps and everything. But if you want to look at the perfect example, look at what happened to Cover, right? The Cover token um, that pumped up quite quite highly, and it was a very popular kind of low cap DeFi token. And then they had a bug in their contract, which let infinite amounts of tokens be entered, and you know a lot of people got got kind of wrecked on that. So, you know, and if I post index is very strict about what tokens it includes, you'll notice that it's all, you know, high quality projects and high quality tokens. It's not, it's, it's not necessarily excluding like smaller cap tokens because they're smaller caps. It's just because they don't meet the criteria that was outlined by DeFi Pulse. And that's to protect people as well, right? From this kind of thing happening, uh, you know, bugs and stuff like that. Dear Lord, so, that cover chart looks brutal. What is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> Drop yeah, to yeah. zero. So that actually yeah. leads us into the conversation that we wanted to bring you on to have, Anthony. We want to use all of the tokens in the DPI and, and go through each individual one and use each one as an example for, um, you know, for listeners to understand how you and how we think about these assets on an individual basis using the assets inside the DPI. And, and like you've said, the assets inside the DPI, we would consider to be the safer assets. That's why they are in there in the first place. They're more justifiable. They have more usage. Uh, they have stronger value capture in the market. Tends, uh, tends to value them more for that reason. Things like synthetics, Aave, Uniswap, Maker, Wiron, Compound, these things tend to be the, the DeFi blue chips. They're not going to like 100X, but they're still going to track DeFi very strongly. And they're not, they're, they're, it's less likely for them to get like rug pulled. And it's easier for, for new people to, you know, understand why these things have value. And I think if we go through each one and, you know, you, uh, explain our mental models with them, it's going to be easier for listeners to understand how we think about these assets and be able to extend that to do their own research about, you know, people like to speculate, people like to gamble in like low cap DeFi tokens. We know that's going to happen. And we want to equip people um, with uh, learning how we think about our mental models using some of the best examples in the DeFi Pulse token index so that they can be equipped for that. So I think we should get started. Let's go down the list in of, of all the tokens in the DeFi Pulse Index. Let's start with synthetics as the, the token that has the highest weight. Um, Anthony, can you explain to our listeners what synthetics network is and what the SNX token does? Yeah, so basically, I mean, as the name says, synthetics is a synthetic asset network. Uh, you know, it, it does a bunch of different things. You can get exposure to a bunch of different synthetic assets on there, whether they be crypto assets or other assets like gold. Uh, they have uh, currencies on there as well, like SUSD, SAUD, things like that. Um, and the SNX token is kind of at the heart of that. So what the SNX token does is it acts as collateral for the system. So 
people will stake their SNX as collateral and they'll be able to generate synthetic assets against that. So a lot, a lot of people do is they generate SUSD. So the synthetic USD against that because it's the, it's the safest play. Um, and then, you know, you might be able to do yield farming with that SUSD or, or use it as like a stable coin within DeFi sort of thing and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, the SNX token also gives you uh, uh, governance rights as well um, over the platform. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I mean, they have a whole governance system that they're currently building out. So I'm not sure how much governance rights you get just yet on the platform. Um, I don't think there's any on-chain binding on-chain governance yet for synthetics, uh, and also it will uh, capture it captures fees too. So um, SN the SNX token, when you stake it, you actually get paid SNX tokens as a reward for that each week. Uh, but on top of that, you also get uh, some of the fee revenue that's generated by the synthetics exchange. So uh, that's not, I mean, that's still quite small as uh, compared to kind of it's like market cap because synthetics has a very high market cap. Um, and I think, you know, as a top level thing here, actually, because we're going to be diving into all these assets, one thing that actually strikes true for a lot of them is that a lot of them have really, the, the top ones have really powerful narratives, really powerful communities, because a lot of these trade like growth stocks where you are basically bidding this up so high or the market's bidding this up so high because they believe the growth potential is extreme, right? Um, so yeah, that's kind of like the TLDR on, on SNX there and, and kind of, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's one of the best performing DeFi tokens of the last couple of years as well. So we're looking at a market cap of over 2 billion and just a massive run up over the last uh, few months here in the, in terms of total locked value, it has 1.7 billion locked. So another metric we can look at, guys, is the price to sales ratio on token terminal. And synthetics right now is about 58. So, um, you know, if you look at PE ratios in stocks, things like Netflix are trading 80, um, Amazon 120 or so. So this is possibly undervalued relative to those things, but you're paying a bit more for synthetics than you're paying for some of these other assets on the charts. Any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, as, as I said, these things trade like growth stocks, right? They will go up very quickly because of a, of a narrative or a story. Um, and this isn't just synthetics. You can see here how many of them trade like that, right? You know, Curve, uh, Aave, you know, and that's because people are betting that these things are going to grow much, much larger. And I don't think that's a bad bet to make at this point in time, considering how early we still are in, you know, DeFi and all that sort of stuff. So, but at the same time, it lends itself to extreme volatility that I was just talking about. You know, it's funny, like Aave during the DeFi kind of mini bear market we had after the DeFi summer, it actually dropped down to about $30. And at the time, I think less than that, maybe like 27 or something. At the time I was thinking, you know, this is insane, right? Aave's growth in just one year has been incredible and it's going to keep growing. They're launching V2, right? They've got all this stuff coming. And that's what you're betting on, right? And, and, and I'm sure even at $27, you know, the multiplier might have been quite high still, but uh, you, you can't, the market doesn't trade these things like that yet. Uh, it trades them based on future potential, just like how Tesla is worth so much, right? Even though their revenue is nowhere near justifying their market cap. But people are saying, well, I think Tesla is going to change the world. They're going to be huge. They're going to be everywhere. So I want to buy it now. Um, so yeah, a lot of these things trade like that. And that's why we get the extreme volatility. 
I think one of the uh, factors that is factoring into the SNX price that you might not find from, you know, metrics or on-chain, you know, on-chain metrics is the fact that uh, it's likely that Synthetix is going to be the first major DeFi protocol to incorporate uh, optimistic rollups and really be the first DeFi protocol that is able to scale into the L2. I think there's a decent amount of, uh, of uh, the justification of Synthetix price based off of there being the, the first major DAP to scale speculation based off that. Uh, and that's something that you just won't find unless you are really paying attention to all of these assets and, and all of the ongoing things inside of Ethereum. And so you can't just look at the charts and, and know that. So uh, using that as a mental model and, and incorporating that into other things that are also looking to scale, I think is a pretty useful thing to do. Yeah. And on that note as well, I think with synthetics, it's also a unique case in that, you know, as I mentioned, SNX is used as collateral within the system, which mm -hmm. means that most of the SNX is actually sitting in the synthetic system, not on exchanges. Mm -hmm. So you have a low float of SNX tokens that people can actually purchase. You unironically have a sell side liquidity crisis at times if there's a lot of demand for SNX, right? So that also plays into it. So this is why these, these kind of assets have all these little intricacies that you need to be aware of if you want to trade them well, right? Um, and or if you want to like invest in them well. Uh, and I guess that's why, you know, DeFi Pulse Index makes this really easy because you don't have to do all of that. If you are looking for a product that connects your fiat bank account with DeFi tokens and products, you need to download the Dharma mobile app. Dharma is a non-custodial smart contract wallet and comes with a bridge that connects you right into your bank account. Dharma is the fastest and most efficient wallet between your fiat in your bank account and any token on Uniswap or even any vault in Yearn. With Dharma, you can get over $25,000 per week into the DeFi universe, and you can do it non-custodially. If you or anyone you know is hot on DeFi and you're trying to get your money into a DeFi investment, Dharma is the place to go. Signing up and going through KYC is an absolute breeze. It took me just under three minutes, and after signing into my bank account via Plaid, I am now just one transaction away from any token that Uniswap has to offer. Go to www.dharma.io, that's D-H-A-R-M-A .io, download the Dharma app and get yourself unbanked today. All right, let's talk about the next uh, asset in the DPI, and that is Aave. It was formerly called Lend, so token had an absolutely incredible year. Even in the, the DPI, it's up like 300% or so. But last year, didn't it do something like 6,000%? In terms of mm -hmm. in terms of growth, um, like yeah, it was crazy. What's going on yeah. with Ave? Can it can it repeat? You know, not six thousand percent level growth, but can, can it repeat some of the growth that it had in twenty twenty? You know, it's funny because a lot of people think that Ave has been live for quite a while, but if you look back, Ave's platform, so its money market, only launched in January of twenty twenty. So they were actually building it out for years. And as you said, it was known as the Lend token back then. It had a much smaller market cap. I think in 2019, early 2019, it had a market cap of $5 million or something like that. Uh, now it's over $2 billion, I think, last time I checked or something crazy like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, it's only been live for, for a year. They just launched their V2. So, you know, there's all this kind of um, spe speculation, as I mentioned before, on the fact that they're going to keep growing and they have been growing. They're growing like crazy. Uh, and so everyone just like loves the Aave token, but it's funny because that token actually launched in 2017 as part of an ICO right. and it kind of, it went up right during the 2017 mania, then it came down and it stayed down, like really kind of brutalized for a while. 
And, you know, some people made life-changing money on this because they scooped it up when it was low because they followed the project. This is another thing. If you follow the project closely and you, you kind of get to know the team, you get to know what they're building during bear markets. It's, it's, it's like a perfect time because well, you, you get to, it was to the time the they said Ethereum was dead. They said every yeah. project <laughs> that, that raised via ICO was basically an exit scam. Right. And here's Abe yes. continuing to build and continuing to ship. And that's why they were so undervalued during the bear market. Yeah. And, and, and SNX was actually in the same spot. So th those two are, are something that I commonly use as an example of, you know, ignoring the, this is dead, this is that kind of FUD uh, in, in bear markets and just, you know, making sure that you understand what's actually not dead, you know, what kind of runway these teams still have to build out these products and, and kind of like the product market fit, the potential product market fit. But yeah, I mean, Ave is just like one of the best stories. They went from zero to you know billions in their protocol in just a year absolutely incredible story and they are number two on the DeFi pulse leaderboard in terms of total value locked so they've got three billion assets under management right now on token terminal they are generating 56 million in revenue from an on an annualized basis which is pretty impressive with the price of sales oh, i think it's 50 53 million sorry oh god i'm One looking down, at synthetics yeah. again 53 <laughs> million so a, a price to sales uh, ratio of, of 48. Um, so pretty impressive asset. So what's, what's kind of your, your consensus on this then, Anthony? Are you bullish, bearish, neutral? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty obvious that I'm, I'm very bullish on it uh, going forward. I think money markets, you know, lending borrowing is the greatest product market fit in DeFi outside of uh, AMMs. So yeah, definitely very bullish on, on Aave going forward. And I actually want to note one thing about their growth that I think makes it even more impressive. They didn't do any liquidity mining. All that growth was unsubsidized. Yeah, that was natural true. growth. Right. And you don't, you know, a lot of DeFi protocols don't have that. So that's just lends itself to another kind of like really bullish aspect of Aave is that their product is just so good. <laughs> that you don't even need to subsidize the growth. <laughs> wow, that's a really interesting point. Okay, let's go to our, our next asset on the list, which is uh, Uniswap. So tell us about Uniswap. Yeah, so I guess Uni, the, the Uniswap token uh, was, was launched uh, last year um, to much fanfare, but I'll quickly just give an overview of Uniswap and why it was revolutionary, I think. So Uniswap launched, or at least I think the idea for Uniswap had been around for a very long time. Uh, Vitalik actually wrote a blog post on the design for Uniswap uh, very early on. And then Hayden Adams, the founder of Uniswap, took that blog post and kind of ran with it and built a product around it, launched it in uh, 2018, I'm pretty sure, um, and then launched uh, a V2 later on. Uh, and then in 2020, they launched their token. So Uniswap is an automated market making kind of a trading platform or swap exchange. Uh, it basically lets anyone be a liquidity provider. So if you have a bunch of uh, kind of uh, tokens, like you have ETH and you want to kind of liquidity provide ETH against USD, you can do that. No one can stop you. It's fully permission permissionless, fully decentralized. Uh, and, and then you can earn uh, kind of exchange fees. So from there, uh, you, you know, uh, Uni launched the token um, and it got airdropped to every user of Uniswap, uh, 400 Uni tokens, which uh, right now is worth a lot more uh, than it was back then. I think Uni's at what, $7 I just saw. Mm -hmm. So worth a, a nice amount of money then. But at the time it was still worth, I think about $1,000 when it first, like on day one. So that was like a very nice airdrop for 
for every Uniswap user. So even if you had actually failed a transaction on Uniswap for one reason or another, you still got uni tokens <laughs> because you had interacted with the protocol. So yeah, you had that launch and the uni token right now is just a governance token. It doesn't do anything else except governance. In the future, the hope is that it'll capture fees from the network. And Uniswap is generating an insane amount of, of fees for the liquidity providers, but there has to be a split between liquidity providers and the uni token holders. So the, the proposed split is that, uh, well, currently 0.3% of all volume that goes to uh, that goes to the liquidity providers, right? Based on what they're providing liquidity for and their share of it. And then the, the proposal is that we should do 0.25% for the liquidity providers, 0.05% for the token holders. Now that hasn't been switched on yet. It's It's been kind of said that it's going to get switched on when they release V3 of their protocol. Um, but yeah, I mean, Uni is a funny, funny token here. I think, you know, you can see there, it's not trading at anywhere near as uh, as large of a premium as um, the other things are because Uniswap actually does generate a lot of revenue. Um, yeah, uh, so anyway, 7.2 yeah, billion market cap and 604 million annualized revenue generated mm -hmm. by Uniswap. It is an absolute cash cow. Now to your point, Anthony, whether... Uh, uni token holders actually get a portion of that yet hasn't been decided. But if that is turned on, then a, a large portion of this cash starts to flow to uni holders, which is pretty incredible. It's also worth talking about that not every token has the same value capture mechanisms, right? So what Anthony was talking about with, with that 0.3% fee collected by the Uniswap protocol, right now, all of that is going to liquidity providers. So token holders actually get 0% of that fee. And there's and token holders will never get 100% of that fee because it needs to incentivize deposits. And so when we talk about these tokens, SNX, Aave, Uni, it's important to know that each one captures value differently. And we are just beginning to figure out how to analyze these things and understand that, you know, maybe... Uh, synthetics uh, has a value capture mechanism that is stronger or weaker than Uniswap. And therefore the fees, even maybe maybe one protocol has two to 10x the fees of another protocol, maybe a different protocol can capture uh, the, the fees two to 10x better. So these are all really important conversations to have. Anthony, how do you think about um, both the ability of the team, the Uniswap team to, to innovate. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty bullish on the, the Uniswap team because they, like Synthetics, are really exploring the fold of L2 capabilities, and layer two crypto uh, capabilities, really leveraging the power of cryptography, which makes me really excited about Uniswap. And then there's also the conversation about Coinbase as well. Maybe you can talk about how, how, you, uh, how you speculate into the future version of, of Uniswap and how you incorporate some of these things into your model about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Uniswap is a community darling, right, within Ethereum. It is the quintessential DeFi project that everyone talks about, uh, that everyone loves, you know, everyone loves to use. Uh, it's, it, I mean, literally, you know, pretty much everyone in, in Ethereum and in DeFi will have used Uniswap at least once. So that, that in and of itself is a very bullish case for Uniswap. But then when you dig deeper into, as you were just saying, you know, how is the token going to capture value, right, outside of the governance, you know, it's going to get a small portion of the fees. Okay, so is, are those fees going to keep getting larger and larger? I believe they will. But are they going to get to a point where, you know, Uni's market cap can go to the hundreds of billions of, of dollars, right? Um, because its volume and, and, and uh, that it's generating is actually rivaling its centralized counterparts. 
And you look at Coinbase, you know, they're going to IPO this year. It's said that they're going to reach a $100 billion plus market cap on, on that. Now, Coinbase obviously makes revenue from other areas as well, not just exchange fees. They have a custody business, they have OTC stuff that they do. They have a bunch of other things that they do. But if we, most of their revenue, I believe, still comes from exchange fees. So if we take that as an example, you know, you could say that uh, Uni deserves to trade at the same valuation, right? At a surface level narrative. And that's the narrative that gets perpetuated throughout, you know, crypto Twitter and all that sort of stuff, because it's a very easy narrative to, to cling on to. Uh, but you, then you have to dig into the intricacies. You know, a Coinbase equity holder is going to get dividends, right? I don't know. I haven't read the prospectus. I don't know if they're going to give dividends out. What's the share, right? Uh, what's the, the price to sales ratio? All that sort of stuff. And that then it becomes it's not a one-to-one comparable anymore. You need to kind of go into the the depths of each of them and, and kind of work out there. But I think, and as I've said, these things are growth kind of assets. I think narrative powers more than the fundamentals for the time being in crypto and DeFi because it's so new. And that very, very powerful narrative of Uniswap doing more volume than Coinbase on some days, you know, and, and centralized exchanges in general, I think the asset will continue to appreciate just because of that, even though it doesn't do anything except governance at the moment. Um, and it's already worth $7 billion on a fully diluted basis just for governance rights. So, and, and, and you know, that, that, that on token terminal, it shows the price to sales ratio is very low. But, but as you said, um, uni token holders don't have uh, access to any of that. So really, I mean, the price to sales ratio is infinite because the yeah, uni token holders yeah, don't, have, uh, don't have a claim to the fees yet. So in, in that respect, it is, you know, just valued based on a narrative and a story and, and a little well, bit of governance value. Yeah. And, and at some level, so are like some stocks like, you know, Amazon for a long time had no profits, right? Um, Bezos just kicked that back into the business. But I want to ask another question on, on Uni while we're at it. It's kind of the bear case for, for Uni, right? So we, we don't know how all of this will play out yet. Um, there is a bear case that says, hey, liquidity is, is actually fickle. And because protocols like Uniswap can be forked so easily, we could just fork and create a Uniswap clone, like a sushi maybe, and start vampire attacking Uniswap, absorb the liquidity from that project, right? So what's interesting about that uh, counter narrative or counter thesis is um, if you're buying something like the DPI, you don't even have to worry about it because what will happen is a sushi will just like, um, be indexed by the DPI as it market as its market cap grows and as governance kind of votes to include it in the index. So you don't even have to worry about that sort of thing. But if you are buying Uni the token uh, on its own and not as part of a, an index that kind of rotates through the top DeFi uh, assets, then you do have to worry about something like that. What do you make of that? That kind of bear case that liquidity is fickle, that uh, Uniswap does not have a, a high moat. Or I, I actually, yeah, I mean, SushiSwap has obviously done very well over the last few months. Um, they have uh, gotten a lot of liquidity uh, that they are subsidizing. I just want to make note of that. They're subsidizing with the Sushi token. Um, so a lot of that liquidity is flowed in because of that. But, you know, people like to say that liquidity isn't loyal. And that's true to an extent. But I do think there are a handful of um, more than a handful, like a, a pretty decent amount of liquidity that is loyal because, you know, Uniswap had their liquidity mining incentives um, and uh, for, for a little while where they were giving out uni tokens for uh, look, providing liquidity on four different pairs. That lasted, uh, I think, think six weeks or something like that. They got like, uh, I think, two 
two billion dollars or some some crazy amount of liquidity and that left as fast as it came but there was still like over a billion dollars left in uniswap and that's kept growing without the liquidity mining incentives so to me that's just sticky liquidity loyal liquidity that's there for different reasons Uniswap can be considered a more secure protocol than SushiSwap, right? People trust the Uniswap protocol more. Uh, there's more volume being generated on Uniswap. So the fees that you're generating as a liquidity provider are better than SushiSwap. The brand awareness is better, right? Um, the interface might be better, you know, the way people interact with it, all that sort of stuff. So it's, it's hard to know where this is all going to land because, you know, some people say, because liquidity is not loyal, it's just going to be fragmented across different pools, whoever's paying the most for it, blah, blah, blah. Then the aggregators are going to win. Something like a one inch, right, um, is going to win because that's just going to be the user facing interface. And then one inch is just going to plug into whoever has got the best price for the user, which I can see happening actually in the end state. Um, not just one inch, I can actually see centralized exchanges doing this where they tap into the DeFi liquidity pools and just act as an aggregator as well. We saw Shapeshift recently announced that they're actually going to be using these DeFi protocols in that way. Um, so yeah, I mean, and, and as you mentioned, because it's so hard to tell the future here, having something like the DPI where, where, you know, SushiSwap will get added eventually to it once it meets the criteria. Or, or even one inch would get, if, if the aggregator yeah. layer becomes kind of the, the fat layer here, the fat value, then one inch would be added to the DPI. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So these are just things you don't have to worry about if you have the the DPI. You just get broad act, broad um, kind of exposure to you know a bunch of different categories within DeFi as well, right? You get the AMM category, you get synthetic category, you get money markets, you know, and then you can just like rest easy knowing that. I mean, that's just going to keep going up because a lot of these tokens are just going to keep going up, and you don't have to pick and choose. So that's a very powerful thing, and th and that's why index products are so popular in the traditional system. No one wants to research 500 different companies that they're in the, in the S&P 500, right? They're happy cruising on what, 8 to 12% annualized, right? Um, on average uh, with some of their, their, their capital. And they know that it's safe. They know that they have exposure to the economy. They're not getting inflated away uh, and their money's actually going to grow. So that's, that's the end state for, for DeFi investing, I think, um, because there's no way an everyday investor can keep up with everything. And there's no way I, even I can keep up with everything and all, all, all of us, right? right. Um, so yeah, right, that's, so, that's definitely a big So thing. let's finish up uni with a bullish, bearish, neutral. Yeah, I think I think neutral for uni, uh, even though I think it's going to go up. Well, I think the bullish case is there from a narrative point of view. But for me, I just, I mean, it's it's kind of hard to, to kind of like give a, a really bullish investment case. Um, in terms of like future growth. I mean, I, I still think it's going to grow. I know it's weird to say this, but for me, I'd rather put my money into something else that maybe I feel more comfortable investing in. And maybe it's like got more upside potential as an active investor within this space, mm -hmm. but I do own it as part of the DPI that I own. So, I mean, I've already got exposure. So yeah, <laughs> definitely. New, I'd say neutral to bullish. Let's, let's, let's say that. All right. Okay. So let's let's turn the conversation to MKR and Maker, one of the oldest assets in the DeFi ecosystem, which also had an extremely explosive week. Uh, listeners will know that the MKR is the token behind Maker, which is the token or which is the system behind the Dai stablecoin, which is really the the only decentralized trustless stablecoin with the level of liquidity that we would expect in the DeFi ecosystem. Anthony, how do you think about Maker and MKR? MKR has been the most brutalized DeFi asset uh, ever, I think. It did not really move during DeFi summer, which, you know, people were like, 
why isn't it moving, right? DeFi is moving. Why is this thing not going up? And the sentiment on MKR was very, very bad until one day it decided I'm just going to pump really hard and go 3x <laughs> in like a week. <laughs> so the, the thing about MKR is that I think the maker platform has kept growing very, very rapidly. It's still number one, right? Die supply is at all time high. There is a a lot of ETH in there, 3.5 million ETH in the Maker platform backing um, the DAI. And there's a lot of uh, USDC, and WBTC, all these sort of stuff. So you can see here $4.2 billion worth of uh, collateral in Maker. And then there's and also means- 1.4 billion DAI out there. Exactly. And, and that's kept growing all throughout the time that MKR has just stayed flat, right? It flat against USD and kind of falling very rapidly against ETH. Um, so because of that, the sentiment was, was really bad, right? You, you, you saw it on crypto Twitter. If you're on there, people were ragging on it saying it doesn't have a good value capture mechanism, blah, blah, blah. Um, but then you obviously it woke up this week and now people are suddenly bullish on it. I don't know. That's how the markets work, (laughs) but the way MKR generates fundamental value is, is in basically two ways, right? It's a governance token. First and foremost, it, it, it governs the maker platform. And then on top of that, all the positions on Maker accrue stability fees. So basically, this is the revenue that make the Maker platform generates. And those stability fees are basically used to buy and burn the MKR token. So the, 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 the real bull case for MKR is that there's so, many, so much fees being generated by the platform that there's always buy pressure for the MKR token so that eventually, you know, it's so scarce that naturally the price just appreciates because there's always demand there. Now there's arguments two and four kind of, I mean, sorry, for and against, sorry, this, uh, this value accrual mechanism, people say, you know, burning isn't the best use of, of, of kind of um, mechanism for, for a token to accrue value. You should do staking and let people accrue fees themselves, like directly, directly accrue fees and like die or something like that. And I get that model. I do get the burn model as well. I know David, you've written a lot about this in the past as one of your, some of your earlier writings, which I really like really resonated with. Um, and that thesis didn't really play out till recently. And now people are like, Oh, well, you know, make is growing. It grew a lot, right. That's at all time highs across all its metrics, you know, well, maybe, maybe MKR should be worth something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I actually think MKR is a special case in where it's fundamental value was growing and it's token price should have gone up, but the sentiment was so bad on it that it actually trumped all that. Its narrative, its story was not good enough because crypto runs on these narratives. So mm-hmm. now that it's it's gone up again, the story kind of flips. People people start right. asking questions. You know, they're like, oh well, wow, how didn't I see this coming? You know, hindsight, 2020 and all that. So that's why MKR has been a very, very difficult token to invest in previously. And it still is difficult to invest in. Um, it, it's whether you buy that it's going to keep going up still, and it wasn't just like a once-off thing. Uh, but Personally, I mean, I can see it keep going up because the Maker system's not going anywhere. Die is not going anywhere. Uh, mm-hmm. There's obviously demand for it. I mean, I use Maker um, and all that sort of stuff. A lot of people I know use it. So, yeah, that's like, the, I guess, the TLDR on, on Maker. 1.4 billion Die is nothing to ignore. Maker is a really interesting protocol because it's got this dual token model. So users can think of Die as the product of the Maker protocol and the MKR token as like the pseudo equity, the, the capital asset, the one that collects fees and then it, it deflates, it deflates in supply, right? And so 
that 1.4 billion die out there is uh, accruing fees somewhere, depending on the collateral inside of MakerDAO, whether it's Ether, USDC, whoever minted that die is paying fees. In the same way that if you are borrowing from Compound or you're borrowing from Aave, you are also paying fees. The difference with Maker and with versus Aave or Compound is that the interest rates that you pay on Aave or Compound fluctuate according to the market rate. Maker those interest rates that, or what we call the stability fees uh, change as a result of the governance of MKR holders. And the MKR holders will make a very human-led decision rather than a robot-led decision like Aave or Compound, a human-led decision to uh, increase or lower the stability fees to help adjust the price of DAI. Not unlike how our central bank will issue uh, more currency to keep the, the price of the dollar down or raise interest rates to keep the price of the dollar up. Very similar mechanism. Yet when the fees are collected by the protocol, those fees go into burning the MKR token. And so when we see the DAI, uh, the supply of DAI just marching upwards, basically nonstop since the genesis of the protocol into 1.4 billion dollars worth of die that's 1.4 billion dollars that the MakerDAO protocol is able to collect fees on right now the the average fee i think is roughly two percent it's been as high as 19 and a half percent in in previous times so if you're bullish on mkr you're bullish on more die supply as well as increasing uh stability fee interest rates right so more fees paid per die over time so all, all this, uh, David. David, you sound maybe that you're you're a bit bullish on MKR right now. I'm not sure, but let, let's ask the question. So, uh, bullish, bearish, neutral, guys, on MKR. Anthony, you want to go first? Yeah, I think again, I think neutral here because, as I said, it's been very, very hard to trade MKR and invest in it because. You know, if you invest in it over the last two years, you had been kind of sideways and underwater against ETH, uh, you know, um, up until recently. And still, depending on where you bought it, I mean, it hasn't recovered that much against ETH. I think it, it peaked at like five ETH per MKR. It's at like 1.3 last time I checked. It was down at like 0.7 at one point. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you if you had bought a long time ago, you're probably still not up against ETH. So I think the sentiment is still not great on it. I can understand the fundamental value and I think DAI is going to do a lot of things. So neutral in that, I don't think I'll be buying it, but I do think that it can, can go up given the right conditions. Uh, so yeah. I think the the fundamentals behind Maker are absolutely astounding. I do agree with Anthony. I think it's kind of a tortoise v hare kind of scenario where Maker is the tortoise. It's going to be slow. It's going to be boring. Uh, DeFi tokens are going to like pop off like rockets. People are going to feel FOMO. And I don't think people are going to feel FOMO about MKR just because of how old and you know mature the asset is. I think it's going to be a slower slower mover, but the fundamentals there are so strong are so strong and, and some people are going to tap into that. So net net time, um, MKR was like my first love as a token outside of Ether. Um, so I, I, I'm happy to see it come back into the fold of conversation. Um, I'm long-term long bullish. Aave is a borrowing and lending protocol on Ethereum and just recently released Aave version two, which has a ton of cool new features that makes using Aave even more powerful. With Aave, you can leverage the full power of DeFi, Money Legos, Yield, and Composability all in one application. 
On Aave, there are a ton of assets that you can deposit in order to gain yield. And all of those same assets can also be borrowed from the protocol if you have deposited collateral. Here you can see me getting a 200 USDC loan against my portfolio of a number of different DeFi tokens and ETH. I'll choose a variable interest rate because it's a lower rate than the stable interest rate option, but I could choose the stable interest rate option if I wanted to lock that interest rate in permanently. One of Aave's V2 features is the ability to swap collateral without having to withdraw your assets, trade them on Uniswap, and then deposit them back into Aave. Aave does all of this for you, all in one seamless transaction, so you don't have to repay loans in order to change the collateral you have backing them. Check out the power of Aave at Aave.com. That's A-A-V-E.com. All right, let's go to the next. So yeah, you mentioned if MKR is the, 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 the tortoise, then wire and YFI has got to be the hare. It's had a, like a, an absolutely crazy year. Anthony, your thoughts on the urine protocol and YFI? Yeah, YFI is the craziest token to ever launch, I think. Yet, maybe there's crazier ones. I think, you know, for those who are who are around when the token went live, you will know what I mean. But first, I'll explain what the protocol is. So what uh, Yearn is, and I guess what it has been up until this point, uh, is a yield farming aggregator. So it basically lets you pull capital with a bunch of other people into what's called a, vo a vault. And this vault will chase the best yield farming opportunities for you. It will let you save on gas because it will do the trading for you, you know, automated, all that good stuff. Um, so that was very popular during DeFi summer, of course, right? Because their yields were very high because there was all these farms popping up and tokens were going up and, you know, <clears throat> the APYs were through the roof. Um, but, you know, it's less popular when these, there's not like a DeFi bull market, which, you know, they're not really, there isn't really one at the moment, right? It's, it's still very much, I think, sideways movement um, with some going up here and there, but it's nothing like we saw in DeFi summer yet. So, um, and then, you know, with, with Yearn also launched the YFI token, which was uh, the first quote unquote fair launched token in, in kind of DeFi where, Andre, the founder, put out the token. Uh, he said there's only going to be 30,000. You can yield farm for two weeks or around two weeks. There's no pre-mine. There's no VC allocation. Everyone gets a fair shot at farming it um, by putting capital into these contracts. And that's how it was distributed. And because of that, it had an extremely strong narrative and meme for DeFi summer. It It is like it went nuts, right? It started at $0 essentially because, you know, there wasn't any initial sale. Went up to, I think, $45,000 all-time high. It went on Coinbase, you know, really quickly. All these kind, kind of things happened. And, you know, the, the Yearn protocol was growing rapidly because of the fact that yield farming was taking off. So you had this incredibly powerful narrative and the token went up extremely fast within a month or two. Now, of course, you had the come down, right? After that, Wi-Fi fell harder than most DeFi tokens. It went from 45,000 to 7,000 in a month. Everyone thought it was dead, game over, things have finished. Then it went back up and now it's hovering around 30,000, right? Nothing's ever dead here. Like, uh, you know, a lot of the, the, the things that are actually dead are still not dead um, in terms of coins. So, but anyway, they kept building and they, they've kept building up until this point. They have a lot of um, stuff going out. Um, they have a, a lot of products in the pipeline, but unfortunately, the token kind of feels like a second-rate citizen in the protocol at this point. Um, I think at the moment, the, the, the community is struggling with how this token is going to accrue value going forward. It 
originally started as governance token and you could put your, your tokens into the governance contract and accrue fees from the protocol. Um, and that was actually paying a lot during DeFi summer, of course, but now it doesn't pay much. And they've proposed to turn that kind of governance off and do a new model, um, which is could be called, uh, it's going to be called a buyback and make where they buy back Wi-Fi from the market, they being the developers and use that to pay salaries and things like that. Um, and there's no like fee capture, but there is governance. So it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of like this limbo state now, this token um, where I think it's worth as much as it's worth still because of its powerful narrative. You know, I think the products are still uh, still sound and I think they've got good products coming out in the future. But yeah, it's it's this token is probably the hardest to value in DeFi uh, right now uh, just because it, it could change, right? It could be something else next month. We don't know. Um, so it's very hard to project what what's going to happen here. Yeah, young assets are very hard to value because it's so easy for something to change. Anthony, what would you say to the critique that YFI was just a flash in the pan, just like a it's a one time, once and done kind of kind of move? It had its big claim to fame, and now it's kind of just drifting off into the into the ether. What would you say to to somebody like that? Yeah, I mean, I can kind of sympathize with that argument um, to some extent, where. I, as I said, like the token seems to be in limbo right now. The, the, the community and the developers don't really seem to know where they want the token to go, like what they want it to do. Um, so, I mean, there, there is critique there's to be made, but that's like assuming that they're not going to figure this out, right? So the more positive case is that they figure it out. They figure out good value accrual mechanisms for this token. They keep, keep building good products um, that generate revenue and all this sort of stuff and, and everyone's happy. But that is just like a very big risk, right? Um, you know, buying the the token right now, I think you'd be buying it more for the narrative, the meme, the story, right? The Andre narrative too. Like he played a huge part in it. Um, you know, his whole persona um, played a huge part in it. So I it's think- a, It's a massive ecosystem and a massive yeah. community, but, but like, why did they turn off the value accrual like fee mechanism? So it's, they're, they're, I mean, in the proposal, they said that it's going to be temporary. Um, the justification was given that the, it wasn't generating much value anymore. I think it was generating maybe 1.5% a year or something like that uh, in terms of APY for Wi-Fi uh, stakers. So uh, they would rather, you know, basically use the fees generated by the Yearn vaults or the Yearn platform to buy Wi-Fi from the market and then use that to fund developers, developing mm -hmm. uh, the core developers essentially. Now, obviously, you know, you might think, well, I mean, that's not really a value accrual mechanism because that Wi-Fi is never going to be paid out and sold, right, on the open market because if you're paying developers with these tokens, they might cash it out. So eventually it finds its way back to the market anyway. It's not like a maker buyback and burn, right? right. It's, a, it's a buyback and spend essentially. Um, so... People are like, okay, well then how is that bullish for the token, right? Like how does that generate value? But then other people say, well, you know, the more developers we fund, the more we pay them, the better products they're going to build. And, and I agree with that, right? You obviously need to pay people, you know, people need to make money. Um, and then eventually, you know, as the product matures more, um, it, it kind of can accrue value. So, I mean, to use David's kind of metaphor here, it's like why Yearn started as like a hare and now it's gone and become a tortoise, right? And it's, 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 it's planning to play the long game now rather than that short-term game it played because that wasn't sustainable. So what does that make you? Bullish, bearish, neutral on Wi-Fi? I, I still hold Wi-Fi. Um, you know, I'm definitely still bullish on it, but I wouldn't say I'm bullish on it for fundamental kind of 
fee revenue reasons or value capture reasons. I'm bullish on it because the story is very powerful. The builders are great. They have a great ecosystem that they're developing with the, they call it the Y ecosystem, um, where they've got a bunch of projects that they've partnered with, like Sushi Swap, Cream, uh, Cover, all these different projects. So I'm bullish on that because that's like a first for DeFi. Um, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't say I'm holding it, expecting to generate dividends, if you want to call it that, um, anytime soon. All right, shall we move on to Compound? Compound is a very interesting protocol. Anthony, tell us your thoughts about Compound. Yeah, so Compound is a money market protocol similar to Aave in that you can uh, lend and borrow assets on there. Uh, it's number three, as you can see on DeFi Pulse here, $2.7 billion lock or $2.8 billion in there right now. Uh, Compound is great. They've been around for a while. They've been around longer than Aave, I think. Uh, they are definitely the tortoise if Aave is the hare. And I wouldn't even say that Aave is a hare. It doesn't move that quickly. But the main difference is that Compound moves slower with adding assets, changing system parameters. You know, it, it, it plays it safer, right? Whereas Aave will play a little bit more fast and loose where they'll, they'll list additional assets that may be considered riskier than, uh, than what Compound will do. Uh, but, you know, Compound is probably safer than Aave for, for that reason. I don't know on, on, on a fundamental level or a smart contract level, but maybe, maybe more people trust Compound because of that. You know, maybe the rates are better, more efficient on there because of that too. Um, it's worth noting that Compound currently still has liquidity mining, I think, uh, where you can earn the comp token for lending and borrowing on there. Uh, and it's also worth noting that Compound is what kicked off DeFi Summer. Because in June of 2020, they launched their liquidity mining program, which turned into what's known as yield farming. And uh, they were kind of the thing that the, 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 the protocol that popularized it. Uh, and that was just the very beginning. And, and the comp token uh, launched and obviously it went up a lot from all the hype um, at initially. And then it came down and it's gone back up during during this kind of like bull market we've seen recently. Um, so the comp token itself is, is governance, of course. I mean, most of these things are, are governance tokens. Um, I don't know if they have fee capture on yet for the comp token. I don't believe they do uh, last time I checked. So yeah, same situation as Uni, I think. You, you, you could say that Compound is, is like Uniswap in terms of, um, you know, that kind of like moving slower, playing it safer, not taking all these risks. Whereas, you know, SushiSwap moves a lot faster um, and takes more risk. Uh, so, and then I think Aave does as well, but I actually think SushiSwap, I mean, sorry, I actually think like something like Cream, which we're not going to talk about, I don't think because it's not part of the DeFi Pulse Index, but they move even faster. So yeah, I mean, Compound's going to be around for, for a while. It's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. But the, yeah, the main difference, because people might say, okay, well, we have Aave, we have Compound, we have Cream, we have all these money markets. You know, what are the main differences? It really is that kind of like how fast they move to add new assets is, is a big part of that. Because that, that plays into the governance culture of how fast they want to they wanna, um, do things and how much risk they want to take and how much risk they want to introduce to the protocol. Uh, so, And that's the same with, with Maker as an example here. MKR governance moves very slowly, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that's been a critique. Um, but as you said, David, some are playing the tortoise game, some are playing the hare game. And I think Compound is, is definitely playing the tortoise game. But uh, you know, long term, I, I think it's, it, it's a winning model for sure. It's funny that that's a critique too, because it, it definitely does add to the robustness of the DeFi ecosystem that you have um, some protocols that are very conservative and, and, and slower and playing kind of the tortoise game and others that just 
move fast, maybe move fast and break things at, at you know, the, the far end of the spectrum. But when you look across all of this, you, you get the speed advantage, and then you also get kind of the, the conservative low risk advantage. And all of these projects together just make DeFi a whole lot stronger because we have we have different options. I'm glad there isn't only just a compound, but there's also Ave and Cream, and that there's like not only just a Uniswap, but there's also a Sushi. It makes for a uh, a much stronger ecosystem. I would definitely uh, categorize Compound and Uniswap in similar categories because both of those teams are really pushing the limits of crypto economics, right? Both of them are experimenting with L2s. Both of them are doing brand new things that no other protocols are doing. And I think that's kind of where the theorized upside behind something like Compound or Uniswap comes from is they they uh, integrate with something like optimistic rollups or some sort of L2. Compound is is experimenting with its own application chain. Uh, and that is something that, you know, we are not seeing out of Aave or Cream and we're not seeing out of SushiSwap where Aave and SushiSwap are, are more focused on like native DeFi money Lego integrations and really uh, pushing the fold with how integrations with other protocols can work. Whereas Uniswap and Compound are kind of just, you know, working on themselves and working on how can we, how can we, you know, maximize the value capture using L2 uh, and, and using some of these very early nascent crypto economic primitives that I don't think anyone else is really equipped to, to work with. So like Ryan said, really happy to see uh, similar protocols go in two different directions because there's so much left in untapped potential in DeFi. Somebody needs to go in all directions. All right. So let's ask the question, Anthony, bullish, bear, bearish, neutral on comp. Neutral on comp, I guess, new, yeah, neutral on comp, neutral to bullish, maybe. I, I haven't kept up too much with all of the work that they're doing. I know, you know, high level what they're doing and I kind of was bearish and still am be bearish on their application chain that they want to build. I don't really see the point of it um, uh, until recently, actually. I, um, you know, we saw that the OCC in the US said that um, federally chartered banks could use uh, blockchains as settlement layers, public blockchains as settlement layers, so maybe the comp chain kind of fits into that and the banks are more comfortable using something like a comp chain rather than Ethereum. Maybe there's a case there, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely neutral. I, I still think, think they're going to grow. I just think that, yeah, I, 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 that kind of comp chain thing gave me pause, but other than that, yeah, definitely uh, still think it's great. All right, let's get into Loopring. Loopring, I feel like, is the, the most unique asset so far in the sense that it just pertains to an L2 network. Anthony, can you go ahead and get into Loopring for us? Yeah, Loopring's been leading the L2 charge uh, for a little while now. So they have two uh, different exchanges on Layer 2. They have an AMM exchange, so something like a, a Uniswap-like uh, exchange on Layer 2. And they also have an order book based exchange. So something like a traditional kind of ex uh, centralized exchange order book um, model. Um, and they've seen some incredible growth recently uh, on their layer two. They have, they have over a hundred million dollars locked in there. Now they're doing liquidity mining on there to get people to migrate across. And they're really leading the charge here. They're using uh, zero knowledge rollups or ZK rollups, which is a different technology to what uh, some of the others like synthetics and Uniswap are going to use. Uh, they're going to use um, optimistic rollups from Optimism. Uh, so, and and Loopring have built their own ZK rollups as well. I don't think they're actually using any other companies. Uh, so that's even more impressive. 
but yeah, they've seen some incredible growth. You can see on the on the chart there. Yeah, Anthony, they've... what happened here? So what happened on January first? Because we see total locked value just shoot right up massively, yeah. and also token price. Yeah, yeah. I I think I mean token price would, would play into that a little bit because they have LRC uh, on their exchange um, that oh, you can it. use. But also they did the liquidity mining program, which had people put their tokens on L2 and, you know, to earn their LRC rewards on there. Um, so, I mean, I think that's needed. You know, liquidity mining programs are really great for incentivizing that early liquidity. And we need that for layer two. So I think Loopring deeply understands this and that's why they've done it. And they haven't done it in a super speculative way where you're earning like a thousand APY or whatever, like, or, or none of that. They've done it in a proper sustainable way, which I'm really impressed by. And yeah, they've just made the great layer to exchange. Uh, and and, and the, one of the first that actually has traction because, you know, Uniswap's coming with it, but we don't know when, um, you know, I'm sure SushiSwap's looking into this. I'm sure other projects like 0x maybe are looking into it and stuff like that. But yeah, I think that they've just had lots of success being first movers here and being innovators. Uh, so I applaud them on that. So what's the value capture mechanism for the LRC token? And this is something I'm not familiar with. I, I, I wouldn't say I'm an expert on the LRC token itself. Uh, I'm going to assume uh, that it will have governance rights and that it will have a fee capture on uh, both layer one and layer two, if they have a layer one exchange as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think the token itself is probably in, in, in kind of like early stages where they probably haven't figured out the value capture mechanisms yet or implemented it at least. Um, because I imagine that they're very focused on growing the liquidity on their layer to exchange first before worrying about the, the token. This is right. something else that's really nice about buying an index because like Loopring is just the first. I mean, I know we've all talked about before and you've written about this, Anthony, that there, there's going to be kind of a layer two war for liquidity and for users, right? And this is the only layer two token in here. It It, it probably won't be the last. So with an index, you don't have to pick the winners you just kind of they, they float up in inside the index which is which is kind of nice exactly and I, and i think you know lrc the token wasn't one that was talked about as part of the mainstream consciousness of DeFi tokens but it went up a lot because people were sleeping on it right so as you said with the DeFi pulse index you don't have to even pay attention to any of this it's already in there you already caught that upside uh which is just i mean it's great because you, there's nothing worse than you know, going on CoinGecko and looking at something that went up a lot and being like, wow, why didn't I buy that? Right. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, that, that's why the, the index products are really beautiful, I think, uh, for sure. All right. So let's move to REN. REN is, I think, uh, the most unique asset in this category because it's a cross-chain token. Uh, Anthony, what can you tell us about REN? Yeah, so REN, uh, I guess it used to be called Republic Protocol. Uh, it's a, it's quite an old asset. I think they launched in either 2017 or 2018, their asset. Uh, but basically what their, their platform does, it's a cross-chain kind of bridge. They have uh, REN BTC, um, which is like a, a Bitcoin, tokenized Bitcoin on Ethereum. Uh, they claim it uh, to, be, to be fully decentralized. I, I think that that claim was actually debunked recently where there was centralization vectors, but basically they have like a network of nodes that uh, they call dark nodes, I think, that let you do these kind of cross-chain transactions. Um, in terms of the token itself, I think on the dark nodes, you have to stake these tokens. I'm pretty sure that the, the, um, the token also gives you kind of fee capture because to use the bridge, it generates fees. And obviously that goes to the, the node runners and things like that. And I believe it's probably a governance token as well. I mean, I'm just assuming that all of these things have some sort of governance built in because 
you know, if you want your protocol to be more decentralized, you don't want to be the, the admin key holder, you need to offer incentives to do governance. So, um, but yeah, they've seen some really great growth because of Ren BTC over the past few months. You know, we have so much tokenized BTC on Ethereum now, the largest obviously being Raft Bitcoin, which is uh, centralized. Ren BTC aims to be a decentralized version, but they're all co also competing against something like TBTC, um, but Ren, I guess, goes beyond just BTC. They're trying to tokenize a bunch of assets from from kind of different protocols. But it also speaks to like, what's the demand for this bridging, right? Um, there's also Rune as well, ThoughtChain, which is a very, very popular thing, especially on crypto Twitter um, that is competing in that area. So yeah, it's it's kind of like the growth has been great, but it's kind of like hard to, to value this thing um, when there's so much competition and it was so early in the cross chain kind of uh, thing right now. Yeah, the investment thesis behind REN really depends on there being like a polychain ecosystem that really has many assets that for some reason need to be transferred between blockchains. Right now, the only, the only multi-chain ecosystem I can really see is between Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, so for, I think for the long-term case for Ren, would really need to require, you know, many, many chains with many, many valuable assets. Um, so you would, you would need to believe in that. It's also worth noting that while Ren is a token that provides crypto economic assurances to transfer tokens between chains, uh, the team has a backdoor in the same way that, you know, co the compound team had a, a backdoor to compound before they plugged it up with a comp token. The REN team currently has a backdoor, so it is not trustless. The goal is to make it more trustless with the REN token, but that is not there yet. So that is something that is worth noting, especially when we come and, and start talking about, you know, how to evaluate tokens, whether or not the team has a backdoor is definitely something that uh, people should include in their research. Bullish, bearish, neutral guys on REN. I'm going to go neutral. with bearish. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to go with neutral because I don't know enough to be bullish or bearish about it. Um, yeah, but I, I just to David's point quickly, I think, you know, a lot of the stuff we've spoken about today, um, I think, you know, uh, not just those, but like a lot of other DeFi protocols have these admin keys or backdoors and stuff like that um, because they're young, right? Uh, you know, a lot in the DeFi Pulse Index don't, like Maker doesn't because they have their on-chain governance, right? But Synthetix still does, even though Synthetix is the largest kind of um, uh, token in that index, right? You, If that's something that you're, that concerns you, if you think that for some reason the team's going to do something that's going to jeopardize the protocol with their admin key, then that's something to keep in mind. Um, I wouldn't say it's like a major risk for the top DeFi protocols, but it is a risk. Mm-hmm. All right, let's turn to Kyber Network. Kyber, a very another very old asset in the DeFi ecosystem. Anthony, what can you tell us about Kyber and the KNC token? Yeah, so Kyber was very popular last year, I think. Um, there was like a very strong narrative around it, but I haven't heard much about it lately. But basically from memory, and maybe I'm misremembering here, I haven't looked at it in a little while, but from memory, they, they do a buy and burn model as well, where KNC is burnt. They also have a staking model where you can stake KNC and earn fees that are generated by their exchange uh, in ETH. So it's yeah. actually paid out in ETH, not in KNC. One, one of the few um, tokens that pays out ETH dividends. Yeah, yeah. So that I thought that was very cool. But I think, uh, and just for, for kind of context here, Kyber Network is basically a, an, an exchange aggregator. Um, they have liquidity pools that they pull from and you know they give you the price. And that, that space is obviously pretty crowded now. You know, you have one inch, you have, Dexag, you have uh, Paraswap, there's a bunch of others. Um, so I think, you know, and I saw a post recently from Kyber's CEO, 
I think they're trying to, I guess, reevaluate what their protocol is and where it sits within DeFi from a strategic point of view. Um, because yeah, over the last few months, they've kind of like sat flat. Um, they're, they're kind of, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say they're getting outcompeted, but you know, the other things have, have grown more than them, the other aggregators and stuff like that. So, you know, investing in KNC right now is probably pretty risky because you're betting that the team will figure out, you know, where to go next, right? You're basically betting on the team. You're not betting on the protocol anymore or the growth of it. You're betting on the team being able to plug whatever kind of hole has been, you know, pushing KNC down more than, um, you know, more than maybe it should be. But yeah, uh, I think that's kind of the gist of it. Uh, I hope to see them kind of like come back from the little, I guess maybe the little hole that they're in right now because they're a great team. They've been, they've been kicking away since 2017 as well. They're one of the first DeFi protocols. Mm. But such is life with being the first is that you build during the bear market, you do all the hard work and then someone comes and forks you and does it better because <laughs> they have all the stuff to work from. So, you know, this is the risk uh, of building in DeFi for, for these teams, I think. I think one of the bull cases for Kyber, for KNC, is that uh, with Uniswap, providing liquidity to Uniswap is very capital intensive and ca providing capital to Kyber is less intensive. Uh, you can get more liquidity from less total capital when you provide it to Kyber. And so if Kyber can collect you know, comparable amount of fees, you can keep that capital allocation low while still collecting a, a decent, healthy amount of fees. That's my understanding for the bull case for, for the KNC token. Um, um, I do, it does have a competitive advantages and disadvantages to other things. And so just that uniqueness, I think gives it a lot of sticking power, um, but it really takes a little bit more of deep diving into research and value accrual to really be able to place this token in relation to other, you know, market making tokens. Bullish, bearish, neutral. 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 All right. Well, we made it to the last one. Balancer. Balancer. I really like Balancer as a project. Uh, uh, let's get Anthony's opinion on Balancer and the BAL token. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm the same as you. I really like Balancer as a project. I think they are doing innovative stuff. But the major issue with Balancer, I think, and the reason why they maybe haven't seen more, I, I don't know what their volume is right now. I think their volume isn't like as high as you would want it to be for the amount of liquidity that they have in there because they're, they're actually subsidizing a lot of that liquidity with liquidity mining rewards paid out in the BAL token. Um, but their problem is that their interface is shocking, right? The balancer exchange interface is not friendly to noobs. Um, the last time I checked, I don't even know if they've updated it at this point. Um, it's it's just very difficult for noobs to, to, to uh, navigate. Um, it's very difficult for, for even not even just noobs, like people in general to and even in DeFi to navigate. So I think that's let them down a little bit. They're obviously competing with, in the AMM space with uh, Uniswap and SushiSwap and all the other ones. Um, Balancer lets you do some things like adjustable fees, lets you have up to eight tokens in a pool. But I actually, and this is the, what I originally thought about Balancer, I kind of thought that the adjustable fees thing was actually something that shouldn't have been implemented because the only reason people provide liquidity without the incentives is to generate fees, or at least that's one of the reasons, one of the major reasons. Now, if you have a protocol where you can adjust fees and, and there's all this stuff happens you, and then anyone can spin up these pools with, with different fees, you fragment the liquidity, right? Because, and, 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 and with, with Uniswap, it's just a flat fee. It's 0.3%. So everyone is just paying the same, no matter if you spin up the same pool or whatever. Whereas on Balancer, 
you know, you can do different weightings and different fees and it just, it complicates things, I think, to the point where it's just too complex for most people to, to grasp, um, you know, the volume uh, because it's going a lot through aggregators. I think aggregators usually choose other exchanges like Uniswap and SushiSwap and, and things before they choose Balancer because it's just better. The prices are just better because the weightings aren't, you know, are always 50-50. They're not, you know, custom. The fees are always flat, right at 0.3%. So, you know, that's why I think Balancer hasn't seen more success here. But um, I, I think that the fact that they've got, you know, the, the up to eight tokens in the pools and stuff like that and the adjustable weights and fees is innovative. I just don't know if there's product market fit for that, right? I don't know if that's going to be a long-term successful model. And it's also something that Uniswap can just put in if it wanted to, right? It's not like it's like they could literally just change a few lines of code probably and do that. Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe not, but you know, it's not something that they can look at and be like, oh, we can't do that because Balancer did it. I just explained to you that like it's all open source. So anyone can anyone can do this. So um, yeah, maybe you have a more bullish case than I do. I wouldn't say I'm bearish. I just think that we need to see some more action happening on the, on the Balancer side of things. Yeah, I do think that Balancer might be the thing that captures the long tail of AMM value. Uh, things like currencies, like you know the ETH DAI, ETH USDC, WBTC USDC, I think those are much more appropriate to Uniswap. However, there are things that Balancer can do that no other protocol can do. And what Balancer really is, is a much, much more flexible Uniswap. And there's a lot of value in that as well. The, the, the t-shirts that Ryan and I sold through Bankless, we would not have been able to do that through Uniswap. We needed that flexibility that Balancer offers, that, that differential weighting where Uniswap locks you into 50-50, but Balancer can make a pool that's 90-10, 80-20, or you know, adjustable. So it can start 90-10 you know, and then finish 10-90. Then you can adjust fees based off of, you know, some sort of logic. So like not only can you change the fees, but you can also change how, how you change the fees, right? So everything gets really modular and flexible. And I think maybe one of the reasons why Balancer is kind of lagged behind in growth is that they are trying to go in all directions all at the same time. There's so much left to do before Balancer can really consider itself done. And I don't think we know what the version of Balancer is going to be when it's finished doing all of the things that it needs to, to build itself out on. You know, one of the things that really gets me excited about something like Balancer is that the, the adjustable fees can, can reflect the changing market environment. And a great way to view this is like surge pricing with your Uber, right? If there is high demand for your Uber, Uber will charge you more. And uh, Balancer can do the same thing with volume on some of the Balancer pools. So if there's more volume going through Balancer pool, Balancer can increase the fees for that pool in that specific moment to adjust to market demands. That flexibility is really powerful. I just don't think people have learned how to leverage some of these powers that Balancer is giving to the world. I almost think it's a little bit like the Apple versus Android, where it's like Uniswap is like, it provides the the easy button Apple, just there's not a lot of options, you know exactly what to do. Whereas, you know, Android, there's infinite customizability on top of this thing. And Balancer is, has all of those properties, but the trade-off there is it's a bit more complicated to use and to grok and to understand. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's kind of, I guess, what I was alluding to that is that modularity might actually be the thing that um, prevents balances growth because I think liquidity providing, um, because it's, you know, on Uniswap and stuff, because it's so simple, right? You know that it's 50-50, 0.3% fee, that's it. That's all you have to think about. 
Now, with Balancer, there's a lot of other things you have to consider. Now, as a as a as a just a, a simple liquidity provider, as someone who just wants to put liquidity in and forget about it, right? Obviously, Uniswap is probably going to appeal a lot more to you. Now, the question is: Are there more of those people, or are there more people who care about the modularity, the customization, right? Yeah. And I actually think that it's it's the former because using your analogy, Ryan, um, you know, Apple. I mean, Android phones pretty much look like Apple phones now. It used to be all about customization, customizing literally everything you do on it. But most people's Android phones are a Samsung, and they all look the same to me. Whenever I look at someone's Android, like no one really cares about customizing their phone that much. Um, so it's, it's all about like how much kind of like, uh, I guess people care about what, um, and not to say that balancer can't succeed or anything and not to say that, you know, maybe there is a lot of people that do care about that or not just people, but liquidity. Um, but yeah, that modularity is letting them down right now, I think, um, because people just, it's too complex. There's no, there's no like, I guess like a shelling point, right. To, to go to, it's like, there's nothing to, there's people just doing a million different things in a million different experiments, but we need to get to that point where they all converge and people learn the best practices of how to use balancer. And I just don't think we're there at that point. All right. Bullish, bearish, neutral. Let's start with Anthony. Uh, Definitely, definitely neutral because I I can see the value. I just need to see it play out um, for, for me to be convinced. (laughs) I'm long-term bullish, and I think when uh, bigger players, bigger funds start to get into Ethereum, Balancer offers really compelling tools for funds to manage their own assets. I think we're going to have to wait for them to really come into the ecosystem and mature and figure out how to play in DeFi. But once those types of people get in, uh, Balancer offers really compelling infrastructure to them. Guys, we went through the DPI 10. That was fantastic. Anthony, thank you for your insight so much. Maybe just, uh, could you spend a minute talking about a couple of honorable mentions, maybe some assets that you think could jump into the DPI index in, in the next couple of quarters? Yeah, so I mean, I spoke about how there's a certain criteria that tokens have to meet to be included in the DPI. One of the strictest criteria is that uh, it needs to be uh, live for six months, the project. So six months or more, and then it's eligible. But there's a bunch of other criteria, but that is the one that prevents most of the tokens from coming in. Uh, And that was put forward by DeFi Pulse, the creators of the index. So I guess honorable mentions and ones that I think will, will go in soon because they're coming of age, so to speak. Uh, sushi swap definitely that uh, token and that project has had a renaissance over the last two to three months it has become a community darling they're doing a lot of innovative things uh, and as i said their project is coming up on six months so they'll be eligible for inclusion uh, i don't see a reason why that won't get included so definitely uh, think that that's going in uh, when it can what about curve how if curve is got a ton of value locked how come curve it hasn't made it into the DeFi pulse index yet from memory, I think it was because uh, when their token launched, their, one of the criteria is that more than 5% of the token has to be in circulation and their token launched with basically zero in circulation and has been increasing since then. I think at this point it is eligible. I have to double check, but I think it is eligible, um, which means that uh, it can be included during the next rebalance. Um, but that's up to DeFi Pulse, who are the managers of this index, uh, along with the index co-op, which is a DAO that actually manages these index products as well. So, and I don't even, we've never done something where we've included two tokens in the same rebalance. Rebalance happen monthly. So I don't think there's anything preventing us from doing that. But yeah, Curve should be eligible at this point. You can actually go to pulse.inc. That's where the methodology is if people want to see what the criteria is 
for uh, every token, uh, INC, INC. Um, yeah, you can scroll down and it'll show you like the methodology, um, I think down the bottom. Yeah, so there's the basically methodology there of, uh, of why tokens aren't included or which ones can get included. Um, yeah, so I think, oh, there we go. It's, it's 7.5% of its supply, not 5%. So um, I think Curve is at that point. So yeah, I, it's probably eligible. Well, you guys, this has been a walk through the tokens in the DPI, as well as a few others. There are so many more tokens listed on DeFi Pulse that are worth paying attention to. The purpose of this episode was really to kind of go through the big ones so you could learn how Anthony thinks, how we think about some of these tokens and use some of these analytical tools and analytical mental models to do your own research, right? This is how we do research. This is how we think about these things. So if you start to use that as your mental models, you will be better equipped to do your own research. I think that DeFi summer is coming. It'll be DeFi winter this time because it's, you know, it's January, but DeFi summer 2.0, I think that's here. Hopefully this episode will provide the listeners with really good mental models for how to understand what might be a really awesome time. I put out a tweet not too long ago that, you know, if you look, listen closely, DeFi, you can hear the sound of DeFi tokens popping off. Uh, <laughs> and I, I kind of think that we're in like second 45 of like the three minute microwave popcorn bag where things you start to hear like a single pop a second pop but things are starting to heat up that's where i think we are and i hope this episode kind of uh, leads into that market anthony thank you so much for joining us we we hope by the time listeners hear this you are out of twitter jail sir and eth has exceeded 1420 it's all-time high yeah always a pleasure gents uh thank you for having me on again i hope that you know this helps a lot of the people listening to it to better uh, analyze different DeFi tokens and yeah definitely hope that ETH is at all-time high sooner rather than later <laughs> all right fingers crossed guys risks and disclaimers of course none of this was financial advice you need to do your own research DeFi is risky so is ETH. so is crypto you could lose what you put in but we are headed west this is the frontier it's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot.